If you've ever thought of quilting your own projects but just don't know where to start, I have the perfect first steps for you. I've put together a PDF guide. I call it Three Steps Toward Freehand Freedom. These are the baby steps, but they can help you move past your overwhelm and show you that yes indeed, freehand quilting can be learned. So if you'd like to snag this PDF, there's a link in the show notes, or if you're an Instagram user, just message me three steps. That's the number three, S-T-E-P-S, and I'll send you that link. Let today be the day you get started. The man who had done the photographs said, uh, he was a psychiatrist, and he said most of his patients, the problem they had was that they didn't see what was around them. Welcome to Measure Twice, Cut Once, the podcast where we hear quilters and other crafters' stories and draw encouragement and even life lessons from them. I'm your host, Susan Smith, coming to you from my quilting studio, Stitched by Susan. This is where my long arm, Lucy, and I spend lots of hours doing freehand, edge-to-edge quilting. So if you're not a quilter, and those terms mean nothing to you, it's basically doodling on a quilt top with a 50-pound pencil with needle and thread attached at really high speed. And if you are a long-arm quilter and maybe you're looking for freehand tips, take advantage of the live and unscripted events that I host on my YouTube channel, Stitched by Susan. My philosophy is... There's nothing as warm and comforting as a handmade quilt, and my mission is to get as many out in the world as possible. So I quilt for people, and I teach others to find freedom and joy in quilting for themselves. There are so many quilt makers and just as many stories. Quilting has been a bridge between generations, it has soothed loneliness and chronic pain, and it's been a beautiful expression of art and creativity that spans countries and cultures. Today, Trudy Cowan will be joining me to tell us her story. Today's Pins and Needles is brought to you by The Will and Dave Show. Hi, I'm the Will half of The Will and Dave Show, a short little podcast that myself and the eponymous Dave like to record talking about the things that really matter to us, whether that's social, political, or pop culture. Usually we don't see eye to eye, but more often than not, we can find some common ground in there somewhere. And now... Back to Pins and Needles, with a quick tip for all you sharp quilters out there. Today's tip comes in handy when you're storing things in your stash. I like to keep on hand quite a stack of clear shoebox-sized bins. And I use these for several things. I sort my smaller scraps by color. I keep smaller orphan blocks in them, or even small projects that are on the go. And I also keep extra pieces like half square triangles for example when I've had bonus cuts and I've gone ahead and sewn them up I often have piles of those around waiting to get sewn into another project so these things might vary depending on what types of things you want to keep and store but the beauty of the bins is they're very easy to label 
and they're clear or at least semi-transparent so that you can kind of see what's inside them. So even if, like me, you're not really a labeler, you can still see and identify their contents easily. So this helps you to um, keep your storage shelves neat and tidy and also to have your bits and pieces to hand so you know what you've got. Even it helps to remind you sometimes of things you forgot you ever had. Just take a brief look through your storage bins and you might have some happy surprises. So shoe bins, a storage essential. If you're interested in supporting this podcast, go to buymeacoffee.com forward slash stitched by Susan, where for the price of one delicious coffee, you're able to make a one-time contribution. This helps me fund the show and enables me to keep bringing you these weekly episodes. Thanks so much for your support and maybe take a second now to refill your cup as you settle back to enjoy today's interview. Trudy Cowan has a love for storytelling and a lifelong passion for fabrics and all the needle arts. So she now creates art quilts. She teaches fiber arts. She has written and illustrated a wonderful children's book and even created several commemorative book covers in quilt form. So this morning, I'm welcoming Trudy Cowan into my studio. So thanks so much for joining me, Trudy. Well, thank you, Susan. I'm delighted to be with you. So I first came to know you when my sister sent me a copy of <laughs> your little book, which we're going to talk about more a little later. And I was so okay. charmed and intrigued by um, all that is within it. So before we launch fully into the book, I'd love to know kind of what led you into this experience of telling stories or telling poetry through quilts, through fabric? Oh, my goodness. I've been, I think I've been a storyteller all my life um, in one way or another. I have been um, involved with with books, um, either um, reading them voraciously or writing them uh, from when I was a child. And I always liked to act them out. And so um, being able to tell a story and act it out, that's fine, but it's, but it's over. Being able to tell a story in fabric means that it gets to stay there. People get to see it. People uh, get to, to uh, know what the story's all about. And uh, I think that's... That's really my my main drive is to try to to make my quilts tell stories. That's fabulous. Either one at a time or a whole or a whole group of them, like the mouse book. And and they do. So I was reading in one of your articles that you one of your earlier quilted illustrations was for your brother who was had a poem uh, right that you illustrated. Can you tell us about that one first? We grew up um, with lots of aunts and uncles and cousins, and every time the family got together, the children had to do something. And so sometimes I did a dance, my brother played the piano, uh, but we often wrote poems for family occasions. And my brother wrote this absolutely delightful poem, called, um, you know, Mommy, Where Did I Come From? And the 
it, it really was touching. And he sent me the poem and said, do you think this could be a quilt? Oh, my goodness. Yes, <laughs> it it certainly became one, but there are three verses. And so it didn't, it didn't work as three quilts, but there are three separate images on the one quilt. Where did I come from? Uh, yes, all the places. I love that. It, it really was fun to do and fun to work out how to tell that story. So in that case, then, the story kind of came first, and then you were illustrating it. Have you ever gone the other way around where you have this wonderful fabric illustration idea and then a story comes, or is it always story first? Oh, goodness. Every quilt has a story to tell. Every quilt that everybody does. That's true. Your quilt that's on the wall behind you with that lovely guitar has a story to tell about the person who plays it and what have you. But when people look at it, they see a guitar, they don't see the whole story. Mm -hmm. And so trying to work out a way that the quilt can actually speak out loud is is something that... Um, that doesn't always work. Um, I have uh, a lot of quilts, as we all do, uh, and many of them um, are pretty pictures, but they don't tell you about walking in the forest and seeing the devastation of a clear-cut mountain and, and, and. And so how do we do that? Um, and so often the, the, um, image comes to me and I have to work out the way that it will tell the story without even writing it down. Although often my labels on the back might have a poem or it might have, um, the story to tell, to add to it. Right. And yeah. usually have a, photo a photograph. And that is certainly an additional way to make the story clear. So let's dive into then what I've been longing to hear about. This little book that I've got in my hand, The Little Gray Mouse, <laughs> A Fable in Fabric. How did this come yes. to be? Oh, my goodness. Well, um, six years, I suppose, before it actually was published late in, uh, in 2018, um, a group of us in a quilt group that I belong to, a guild, the Quilted Mouse by name, um, were looking at Pam Holland's book about the adventures of the amazing alphabet, which is a story about the alphabet uh, letters that lose their heads. And she has created um, not only sort of quilts, but ways that people can draw these letters and quilt them and paint them and do all of these things. And one of the women said, we should do that. We should do something about a little mouse. Uh, we're the Quilted Mouse Guild. We should do that. We will each do a, a, a quilt and it will tell a story. And I have a very bad habit. I overcomplicate 
everything. <laughs> and so I went home that night with my mind going around and around and around about the story of a mouse. And I sat down and I couldn't put it down. And this little gray mouse who's very sad and she's gray and her house is gray. And oh my goodness. And I wrote a little bit and then I found that it was coming out in poetry and, and I wrote some more. And so the next time I went back to the Quilted Mouse Guild meeting and I showed them what we were going to do, they said, good, do it. Go for it. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't know where the we went. It just wasn't there. And by that time, of course, I was hooked and and I had to do it. And so I gradually refined the poem and found um, a way to do illustrations that I could do in quilts to to tell this story. There's so is- most. Is there a quilt for each page, right? Because each page has a different illustration. Each one of those illustrations is a quilt. About what size are those quilts? Or do they vary? They're about 24 by 36 approximately, but each one is its own quilt. And um, I also don't plan all that well. (laughs) And so um, I drew out things and somehow they just seem to work in a certain size. Um, Each of them, almost all of them, have a border. And the border is also, in a way, part of the story. It's it's color matched and um, all those things, yes. Mm -hmm. So it kind of frames the illustration then. It frames the illustration, and some of them have sort of full quilted borders, and some of them uh, just have the binding that does for an edge. So I'm curious a little bit about your technique, because I'm a long-arm quilter myself. So did you hand quilt these? Did you machine quilt on your domestic? Was it part of attaching almost the collage of fabric? Was that How did that process work? Yes, yes, and yes, uh, but not long arm. I work on about a 40-year-old Janome, which I am desperately afraid is going to die one day, and I won't know what to do because I love it. It's I, I keep saying it's like a little tank. It goes over and, and through anything. Um, and they are all collaged, um, I drew out the drawings, but they're not patterns as such. They they give me the idea of where I want to go. And so then I cut fabric and I audition fabrics and I place fabrics and the mouse is in every one of them. And mouse is a, a little gray felted piece Um and each one of them is slightly different as well. And they just get placed in on top of the, the quilt when it seems to be right to do that. Um, but no, they're all machine done, machine applique, um, and all with this funny little old machine. 
So I'm curious, when you're auditioning fabrics, what are some mm-hmm. of the factors that you think about in the fabric? I mean, color is an obvious one. Is there texture? Is there um, fabric content? What are the sorts of things you consider? Or is just the field wide open? Uh, it's sort of a yes to all of the above again. Um, I bring out things that I think might work. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I live in a relatively, my husband and I live in a relatively small apartment. Um, but I do have a lot of it given over to, uh, to stash and bits and pieces because I don't need, uh, many yards of anything but I need a lot of different colors and textures important, yes, um, to to add to each other uh, colors and shapes and forms. Um, sometimes they're realistic. Sometimes um, I'm looking at the cover of the mouse book um, that I have here, um, and I know that your listeners can't see this, but oh goodness! But mouse is gray. They her hole in the ground is gray, and she's looking out the hole at the blue sky, vibrant blue and blue and colorful flowers. And she loves color, and so that gives the opening to the yearning for color that mouse and most of us who are quilters have is that yearning for color and texture and uh, and something that's beautiful, especially you're, in the winter. You're <laughs> absolutely right. That is what attracted me so much to this book in the first place, is that the cover is mostly shades of gray and dark and, you know, kind of flat colors. And then there's this swath of blue sky and your eyes are just mm-hmm. like, oh, what does mouse see? And you only are seeing her back looking out the hole, Mm -hmm. that yearning, that, oh, my goodness, I want that. And the whole story is the perseverance of searching for what's going to make her and us happy. Mm -hmm. And it's a beautiful story. I won't give any spoilers, but we will tell our listeners where they can find the book for sure. Oh, that's lovely. (laughs) So looking at some of your other quilts, it looks like you use three-dimensional quality in so many of your quilts. Mm-hmm. Is, is there a favorite thing, a feature that you use in a lot of your quilts or a favorite technique? Oh, goodness. No. <laughs> um, anything okay, just, just anything that I think works. Um, but it is the texture. It is... Um, I pad things. A lot of my quilts have three-dimensional, um, you know, parts of them. Um, when I was a child, um, I used to get scolded in school because I couldn't color inside the lines. And I don't quilt inside the lines. Um, I often have, um, frequently have, um parts that stick out over the border, stick out from the surface of the quilt. Um, and that's what that's what gives me joy while I'm working, figuring out how I can make this perhaps a little bit more realistic, a little bit more fun. Um, yes. I totally love that. And it makes me now want to go and 
make another rendition of the guitar quilt behind me because I'm thinking, mm-hmm. how could I lift that, you know, outside of its frame? Mm-hmm. Anyway, I've oh, got my mind yes. going. Okay, <laughs> good, good. I think uh, that's one of the things that I really like teaching is to to encourage people to think outside the frame, to think um, into that sort of fourth dimension, to to come forward from the surface of the quilt, and um, and make it and make it work, make it real um, or not real. Well, it doesn't have to be real. It can be as wild as somebody wants it to be. But it's still just so engaging when you lift it off the surface. Mm-hmm. It just pulls you mm-hmm. into that quilted world. I noticed yes. that you do quite a lot of cedars. Are you able to describe that technique mm-hmm. for us? Is that something you can do in words without showing? I I uh, had the very good, great fortune to go to a, a five-day workshop. I think it was five days. It seemed like forever, and it should have been longer, with um, Susan Painter out on Salt Spring Island, British Columbia. Um, and I don't believe she's teaching anymore. But she did a, um, a series of cedar forest quilts that were so real, that were so incredible. Um, One of hers actually gets close to making me weep every time I even think about it, let alone when I first saw it. Um, And she taught us ways to create reality. And the first thing she did at that first morning was say, all right, get up and go outside. Go look at a tree. Go feel the branches. Go um, smell it. If you're going to do something that's real, you have to get to know it. It has to speak to you. And so um, the cedar trees that that she taught us how to do were, were just one tree. Not just. <laughs> they were one um, a magnificent series of trees. But that whole technique of the reality of stitching leaves, that's it's not it's not fabric. It's just thread. And it's so real that I know that some of my, uh, the cedar or some of the other quilts that I've done after that, um, aspens, because I live in Alberta and, and we have marvelous aspen trees, mm-hmm. um, that people go up to the quilt and they look at it and they say, how do you keep it green? How do you keep it real? Like it looks so live and that's because you have to look at them you have to know them and and as i keep saying they have to speak to you and so um i i did a couple of uh, i've done a number of cedar forests go for a walk in the forest i happen to live beside a spruce forest actually a sort of a nook of a spruce forest and um 
and I love being surrounded by trees. So um, I've done these, and a friend said, well, we'd like you to do one for us, but we live in Alberta, and it has to be Aspen's in the autumn to prove to people that that Alberta isn't just gold in the winter, in the autumn. Um, We actually do have some color And um, I did that. The trunks are padded so that they're three-dimensional. The leaves come off the edge, off the the front surface of the quilt. And people love them there. And I I enjoy teaching that um, about forests, the, the leaves and the bark and the branches. It's great fun. So I did wonder if you are just reading your book, I thought this has got to be someone who's a teacher at heart. So you obviously teach (laughs) teach your techniques. Um, Do you have any, do you have online workshops that our listeners could be looking for? I do not. And part of it was, as I've told you, I only have this funny little um, camera you know, taped onto the desk in, you know, behind my, uh, I don't have the equipment. I would love to do it, but I actually love teaching live. I love being with people and, um, and reacting to each one of the students rather than just talking to a camera. I can as much as much fun as this is, um, it's it isn't the same as being live. I've done a lot of theater, and I'm I'm used to sort of being in front of a crowd, and it's fine. Um, doing it online, um, I haven't done so. So, mentioning that you have done a lot of theater, is there a correlation between that and your quilting? Has that helped you in giving voice to your stories? Oh, I, I do think so. Um, any way that you can tell a story and get people to respond to your story, whether they're sitting in an audience or standing in front of a row of quilts, um, is for me, it's rewarding. And I want it to be rewarding for the quotes audience. Um, so yes, I, I do think that that storytelling and theater and quilting um, all all come together, um, whether it's a little story about a little gray mouse uh, with 11 quilts in it and a project at the end where people can actually make um, a little mouse to, to wear or put, you know, children love these little things. This is one, uh, or the one that I'm showing you that your listeners can't see, um, is not quite finished. She hasn't got her whiskers yet. That'll come next. And I do, I do love that that makes the book so memorable for a child reading it. It's a beautiful story and beautiful illustrations, but for them to then go and make their own little gray mouse, I can just see that, that book bringing back childhood memories for a few generations to come. That's so great. And there is actually a um, a toddler quilt that is um, in progress um, with line drawings, hand embroidered or machine embroidered, um, of different elements from the story and the denouement in uh, in bright, brilliant colors at the uh, 
as part of this little quilt. So that'll be about a year or so before that's uh, before the pattern is out for that. I look forward to seeing it for sure. Thank you. Um, we've talked a lot about um, quilts with with nature elements, cedars and aspens yes. and so forth. Do you do other types of quilts like people or still lifes or is natural scenes kind of your thing? I do all sorts of things. Um, I've just been working on um, a series of commissions from a um, a wonderful book publishing slash printing company who um, the quilts haven't been shown yet, so I can't even talk about them, but I can talk about the process. They also, this, this wonderful company, um, prints books for other publishers. Okay. And when one of those books that they have printed sells over a million copies, yes, a million, they they want to say thank you. And they say thank you, not with, um, you know, a trophy and a plaque for the wall or some kind of a certificate, but they commission a quilt of the cover of the book. What a great idea. And is that not brilliant? And they're absolutely incredible to work with. And um, I have just about finished the third book that over the years that they've asked me to do. And I have to do at least two of each book cover. Um, a book, a normal hardcover book is um, seven by nine, um, eight by 10, whatever. It's a book size. But the quilts are big. Mm-hmm. They are 40 inches by 60 something, whatever the right proportion is. And they send me the, um, the print full size. And that's what I have to do. It so, has to look like the book. That was my question. Are you actually recreating the cover or are you making something commemorative? So it is a recreation. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And so, you know, we, we, uh, sometimes talk about challenges where somebody gives you a subject and you you just flow with whatever the subject is. The challenge here is to do something that looks like that book exactly. Now, the quilting eventually can, can go a little bit um, interesting way, but but it still has to on their wall. And so you make two of them. One is for their own boardroom and one is for the company of the publisher, wherever it is. So I have one in Manitoba, one in Omaha, Nebraska, one wherever they are. It's, it's been interesting. So that was a question. Very different. That was a question that came to mind earlier, and I'll come back around to it then. So since you teach live and you live in Canada, I was going to ask, are there places in the U.S. where your work might be displayed or hanging that those of us who are really curious could see it in person? Um, The one in Omaha, Nebraska, is in a a publisher's boardroom. So no, I don't think you get to go and see it. Um, I have work in collections 
in um, Arizona. We used to winter in Arizona for a number of years, and I was involved in quilting down there and in the Arizona Quilt Show and uh, what have you. And I have had um, a show or two down there, but there isn't anything there that people can see because they're all in private collections and in California and in New York and places like that. So well, no people, will, people will just have to look you up on Facebook. You've got some great photographs there. And yes. Also- Trudy Cowan art quilting. Yes. Please look it up. Yes. And like it. And I will be sure to include um, links to where they can find your book within our show notes so that they can find that easily too. That would be lovely. The easiest way is for them to simply get in touch with me uh, by email. Uh, they can do an e-transfer. Um, it's it's really simple. And then I send them the book or books. Awesome. Yeah. So kind of in closing then, do you have any little snippet of wisdom from your many years of quilting and creating that you could give to our listeners? Maybe where should they start or what should they be relaxed about or just just what's something that you've learned in your years? The thing, I think the most important thing is you don't have to follow the rules. You can do what's important to you, what's comfortable for you. It's like handwriting. Everybody's handwriting is different. Everybody's way of quilting is different. And if you happen to submit something to a a quilt show and it's rejected, or the comment comes back from the judge that, that gives you pause, that's their opinion. It doesn't matter. And I think we put such pressure on ourselves and we're constantly taking things out and redoing and taking them out and redoing. Please enjoy what you're doing. Enjoy the quilting. Enjoy the color and the texture and the challenge. And if you want to take it out, take it out. That's fine. But you don't have to. There's nobody there with a whip. I love that. I have nothing to add. That was so well said. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thanks a bunch for joining me today, Trudy. This has just been a pleasure to get a little inside look into your world of creating. Thank you. It's been a delight for me to talk about it and uh, a joy to meet you. Well, I'm a Canadian too. So next time I'm in Calgary, I may be looking you up. Oh, I hope you will. I really would enjoy that. Sure will. Thanks again, Trudy. Okay. It's been great. You're welcome. Bye-bye. And thank you for tuning in to the show. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice. It really helps other listeners to find the show so they can hear these stories too. For information on the classes I offer or quilting services, please see my website, stitchedbysusan.com. And if pictures are your preference, check out my Pinterest galleries of edge-to-edge and custom quilting projects. These direct links can all be found in the show notes below. So until next time, may your sorrows be patched and your joys be quilted.